The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is indeed from St. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1612. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, Je- to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who? is my neighbor. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said to him, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go, And do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, 
I am grateful for brothers and sisters in Christ that speak truth into my life and into your life. I am always reminded of the verse that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you heard that before? And there's a man that this last week helped to give me some insight with his expertise in the Old Testament. His name is Chad Bird, and he shared this parable that I'd like to share with you right now. Oftentimes, we come across people and teachers and people that are maybe outsiders that don't know Scripture, and they tend to or sometimes do rip the context out of the words that they speak from. The parable of the Good Samaritan has historically and often is discounted down to a morality story, a tale. It has been relegated to the sophistication of a children's Sunday school lesson. It's oversimplified. You know the story. You've heard it before. If we look deeper by using what the story meant, if we look deeper into understanding what this story meant to the original hearers of the story, then it does take new meaning, and it gets vastly deeper, and it has a thread woven in it that weaves into your walk and my walk as children of the living God. It is woven into the very fabric of Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. I'll show you how Jesus uses or combines the language of Hosea chapter 6. There's only 11 verses in that. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, specifically verse 15, you see, Jesus uses the Old Testament with these experts. And having heard this parable, having been experts in theology in the Old Testament, they should have understood what Jesus was saying to them. It was not a morality story. Jesus shows from the Old Testament scripture and focuses on an outsider who becomes the one who engages the one in need of mercy. He uses an outsider who models divine, the divine activity of showing mercy. The dialogue with Jesus and the expert of the law, we, we hear that the expert is asking him a question not to learn, but to trap. He has evil intent. He is testing Jesus and his 
theological chops, his knowledge, perhaps to trap him in a, in a heresy. He is, and actually, as we know, testing the Word who became flesh, the Word incarnate. We can look at this and kind of chuckle and say, good luck, pal. He asks Jesus a question, and Jesus answers him with another question. (laughs) Boy, is that frustrating to you? The only time that it's really frustrating has been as a parent. But anyway, I divulge my, or uh, I'll move along. You guys don't appreciate that. Jesus answers him with another question. The expert gives an orthodox answer. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. When Jesus uh, asks him, what do the scriptures say? His question is, Jesus, what must I do to inherit or to well, yes, inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, what does the Scripture say? And in a very orthodox, I can almost see his shoulders square back as he quotes Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God, right? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, right? Ooh, good job. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know if that was common, but I can see him puffed up in himself. Jesus' answer to that is this. <laughs> Great! Go and do that, and you'll live. You will be saved. Does anyone here think that that's the way that the expert in the law lived his life? Did he love his neighbor? I don't know. That's why he had to ask one more question to further justify himself. He knew the law. He's sensing that he's going to get caught outside of the law, but he asked this question, and who is my neighbor? And that's really a common thing for people, even us. How far can I go to that edge? How much over the speed limit can I go and not seek punishment or find punishment? There's a rule of thumb. Do not quote me when you get pulled over for this. Nine is fine and ten you are mine. That doesn't always work, but that came straight to me from a California Highway Patrolman's mouth. And so the expert answering a question of the law by giving more law, you and I know that the law cannot give life. It brings only condemnation, right? Does the law give life? No. No, only condemnation. Can we follow the law perfectly? No. No, we can't. So Jesus' answer of do this was really uh, convicting because he can't do it, and nor can you and nor can I. So the question that he asked and what he's hoping to find the answer is how broad of a definition, a definition 
of my definition could be, who is my neighbor? Because this expert in the law is hoping Jesus is going to say, well, your neighbor is your Jewish brothers. And you go, bingo. I love my Jewish neighbors, my Jewish brothers and sisters. He may have even loved proselytes. Those would be Gentiles that had converted to Judaism. But how about the people that are not neighbors? How about Greeks? Would this expert in the law have loved a Greek? Would he have loved a Roman? He certainly wouldn't have loved a Samaritan. Why? Well, their own writings, their own theology, rather self-made theology, little g, God, was that they didn't love those outside the Jewish faith. They were to be hated. They were enemies of God. In fact, we know that Jewish custom and, and as Jesus was being followed and, and, and tested and, and, and reported on, that eating with a Samaritan was uh, tantamount of eating with pigs. He's eating and drinking with sinners. So anyone outside of the Jewish faith, anyone outside of being a Jew would be hated. And the Samaritans would most obviously be excluded. That's why it's astounding that Jesus used them. So how many people am I to love, he was asking, and Jesus gives him a story. The story is a, a guy that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a 17-mile trip. And one of the things about traveling along this road is that the travelers can see a long distance forward and a long distance back. And that is important later as I unfold this for you. So the Samaritan is traveling, and we read that he is robbed and beaten and left half dead. He is naked. Now he's near death and he cannot speak. So he doesn't have an accent. He doesn't have a certain way of putting together his sentences that would identify him. He is laying along that road when a, pond, a, a, a priest comes. And now the priest... has been coming from Jerusalem to go to, Jer to Jericho. And, and, and when we hear that the priest walks along the other side of the road, you can't help but think, what a jerk. How unloving. How could he do that? Well, he'd been in Jerusalem after a two-week tour of duty. You see, back in that time, not all of the priests lived in Jerusalem. They lived in other areas. And so he was in Jericho. And so for two weeks, he would go and do his priestly duties at the temple in Jerusalem. And then he would come home to his family, to his home. 
Is that opportunity calling? So, if he passes, or rather he stops by this man, there, there's some danger there. The obvious danger is, is that maybe the robbers are still around. Maybe he could be a victim. That's a possibility. Who would want to be attacked again? But really, what probably, what motivated this man was that he's a priest. He just left the temple. He is ceremonially clean. And there are laws that dictate the way that he behaves, the way that he travels, the way in who he engages people. And it does not include getting near or touching a dead body. And he sees this person half dead. That's, that's near dead. That's not talking. He's not clothed. He's naked. That's another no-no for his laws. And if he were to go to that person and get too close to him, he would become ceremonially unclean. Well, what does that mean? It means he's got to go back the way he came, back to Jerusalem to get ceremonially cleansed. Not only that, he has to answer in embarrassment the question of why would you get so close to a dead body? You know better than that. Not only that, he wants to go home. He's going to be hungry, but he's unclean. He can't eat. They call it, he can't eat the tithe or take the tithe. That's, that's what was given to him by the people. He can't do anything. And so he justifies walking on the other side of the road. Do you understand that? Do you understand what it meant to the people hearing this story from Jesus? Do you understand that the expert of the law would understand? Well, of course not. You just said he was a Samaritan. All right, moving along. The Levite comes by. And the Levite, traveling on this road, would have known, had he seen them, and I'm assuming he did, that that was a priest that was up ahead of him. He could see all the way up there. He knew how the, tree, the priest traveled. He knew what he looked like. And he sees the priest walk on by, the Levite. Now, there's a hierarchy in, in the society. The priest is up here. Second is the Levites. And down below here is all the common folk, you and me. And so he would be looking at the big guy, the expert, the holy one, representative, and he walked by, why would I stop and do other than what he would do? If it's not important to him, it's not important to me. There must be a good reason that that man walked by. So why would I help that guy and he didn't? And then comes along the Samaritan. And I most misspoke just a minute ago. Along comes the Samaritan, along the same road, probably saw this passing along of this person in need. The Samaritan. The origin of the Samaritan is a little bit fuzzy, but as near as um, 
it can be explained is that there was a time in the 18th century when Assyria had conquered northern Israel and, and, uh, and had taken the people out and, and trapped them. And then they filled the place with the local people. And that's, uh, those people in the area brought in their own gods and they combined it with uh, Jewish custom and faith. And so the, in a combination, uh, they were somewhat Jewish, but somewhat pagan in, their, in the way they did it. In fact, one of the things that separated them from the Jews was that they had a temple on Mount Gerizim rather than the Temple of the Mount in, in Jerusalem. That's, that's heresy. And they only uh, recognized the first five books of the Torah. And those first five books of the Samaritans were, were highly edited in order to include their own understanding and include their own uh, gods within it. How human is that? And so these people were definitely the enemy and the outside of the good Jewish people. But what do we see? We see the Samaritan, he comes and he cares for the man. He binds his wounds. He pours oil on him. He puts him on his own animal, his own beast of burden. And not only that, he takes him into town and he takes care of him, giving the innkeeper two days' wages and promises to come back and pay him whatever he owes. Earlier I mentioned that I would share Hosea 6 and 2 Chronicles. You see, when Jesus is telling this parable, and the expert of the law would have recognized this, Jesus invokes Hosea 6 with the same kind of language, the kind of language that he uses from Hosea 6, and then this parable is the words of binding up. Go ahead and look at it after the service. The words that he combines in here are pouring on. The words that we find in this parable and also in the sixth chapter of Hosea, band of robbers. And we also hear about priests acting evil, acting badly. Oh, this expert of the law, he understood what Jesus' meaning was, and it wasn't a morality story. And then in Second Chronicles, Chapter 28, verse 15, specifically, it talks about four Assyrians, the ones that conquered northern Judea, the ones that took the people away, and as they were taking them away, a prophet came upon them and spoke to them, and four Assyrians stood out and took pity, had mercy on these captives, and they clothed them from their booty that they had taken. They put sandals on their feet from what they had just stolen. They fed them, and they poured out on them oil. 
And so here's what it's all about. When the expert of the law asks his replies to the question, which of, you, of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert said it, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't, ask, he didn't identify who was the neighbor. He identified which one acted as a neighbor to the one in need. And here's how it ties into your walk, my walk, and Christ and him crucified. That is that Jesus is the one that comes upon a body that is broken, upon a, a, a life that has been robbed and beaten and is half dead. And Jesus is the one that comes and binds up that one. And Jesus is the one that pours out his spirit on the dead. And Jesus is the one that pours out wine. And Jesus is the one that was the neighbor to you and to me in our baptism when we met him and he, well, when he met us. When the words and the little faith of the person being baptized are combined with the Holy Spirit, we are saved. We are clothed. We are having his blood and his mercy and his Holy Spirit poured upon us, giving us life. He takes us into his house, the church, where people tend to us. You tend to each other. I tend to you, and you tend to me. In the inn, radical idea to the Jews. How about if I just love this certain amount of people, Jesus says, now as his arms were stretched out, as his arms were stretched out for the whole world, not just the ones that are in, the whole world. And again today we will celebrate Jesus, his providing for us. Once we were dead, now we are alive, and he feeds us his body. And he pours out his blood to pay a ransom for you and for I that we couldn't have paid ourselves. We are the one who's been robbed and, lay, and once were laid there dead. He is the Samaritan that comes and wraps us in his mercy. And we get to stay with him and invite others to know the one who pours out his mercy in abundance. One last thing. Anyone here ever seen a shot glass? It's okay, you can admit it. You probably heard of one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got a collection. Um, there's a story, another parable. Here's a Christian with a shot glass. And in that glass is God's grace 
or so he thinks. And he doesn't want to use it too much, too fast, because he has a shot glass. But he's standing at the beach, and behind him is an ocean of God's grace, and he turns around and then he understands. I got more than a little bit of God's grace. You've got more than a little bit of God's grace. You've got a whole ocean. In the name of Jesus, amen.